Building Years Podcast with Justin Alexio and Jeremiah Watkins. New episodes every Wednesday. Welcome to the show. Hey everybody, welcome to The Building Years. My name is Jeremiah Watkins. Hi, it's Justin Alexio. Thank you guys so much for tuning in, and uh, it's our Friday episode, so you know what that means. Bow, 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 bow. I tried to make the siren sound there, it didn't really work. It didn't work, that's okay. We got a, a good buddy of, of ours, you just met uh, our guest, right? Yeah. A uh, good buddy of mine, uh, soon to be a buddy of Justin's. Uh, Hopefully good buddy, we'll see how this goes. He's a... Uh, an amazing stand-up comedian and writer. I absolutely love this guy. Please welcome Tyler Green to the show, everybody. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Yeah. How are you, friend? Great, man. How you doing? Good, dude. I was um, uh, so glad to see uh, you out in Montreal for Just for Laughs. Yeah. I, it was a uh, lifelong dream that never got realized when I was doing stand-up and Finally got to sneak around in the back way. Yeah, it was so cool. Uh, I I originally know Tyler from uh, uh, just doing stand-up in the scene, but more specifically, we used to go to this place called Westwood Bruco, mm-hmm. and that was like our Friday nights and some Wednesday nights. And uh, yeah, the, the first time I saw you, you were one, because I, I wasn't too familiar with... Um, one-liner comics before like uh people had told me a little bit about like mitch hedberg and steven wright and stuff but you actually were the first comedian that i really had seen live like you i'm like this guy Hmm. this guy's different he's like doing like just one-liners and they're funny and they're really smart and i can't do that at all (laughs) (laughs) like i remember after i i saw you like i made it like a goal of mine for like a year to just write one-liners occasionally hmm. just so I could flex that muscle and see if I, I could. And and now I have some one-liners in my act. They're all right. They're not, they're no <laughs> Tyler green one-liners, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, dude, uh, that was really cool. Uh, that was like, like my first introduction to you. I was like, wow, this is, I've never seen comedy like this before. This is so cool. That's interesting. Cause I've always thought of your stand up. The reason why I think we're similar is that I think your one-liners, the punchline is your physical act-outs. Yeah. So, like, you're, you verbally set up and then physically pay off. Yeah, yeah, I guess it makes, yeah. So I always thought that we were, like, on opposite ends of the spectrum, but so far it almost, like, came back full circle. Right. Almost like the movie Unbreakable. Sure. <laughs> oh, my God. Sure. <laughs> right? That's a great movie. Is that the one? Oh, I know which one it is. Yeah. yeah. They right. call me Mr. Glass. <laughs> <laughs> It's great. It's a great film. Wow. Uh, but uh, let's talk about uh, why you were out in Montreal. Uh, I was out there for um, uh, uh, a couple shows, but you're out there for, I feel like, a very unique and cool reason that a, a lot of people are do not get to go out there for. And uh, you wrote a pilot that you submitted, and uh, they did a live table read. Yeah. Um, so I... Um, I tried out for Just for Laughs like three times as a stand-up and never got it. I was mm-hmm. sad because I sort of stopped doing stand-up. More on that later. But um, I I was sad. That was one of the things because it's like an early milestone to comics saying, even though your parents didn't love you enough, people still validate <laughs> what you do. And it's like an early milestone that you're sort of probably going to make it kind of thing. And uh, it's very hard to get into. And um, so I was sad that I didn't get that. And then uh, 
apparently this for the first time this year, a production company wanted to do a uh, a live table read of uh, TV pilots, and so they just went through and looked at agencies and asked for submissions. And they w- so they went through 110 submissions, and they wanted to get six, and they couldn't agree on anyone but mine. So bit of a brag, but th- so I yeah. I was the one that got chosen, which was really really cool, super awesome, very humbling, and um, so. They, we did a live table read up there, and I got to go as a TV writer and not as a stand-up. So that's so cool. Man. Sort of felt like a fish out of water, but it was in amongst amongst my people. Well, it was it was funny because I did not get invited to just for last as a stand-up, really either. Like the the things that I did for the two shows were both like just me being a physical comedian and kind of like improviser or like sketch whoa. player. <laughs> yeah, <whoa. laughs> yeah, exactly. Doing the wave, or I did like this character on this uh, on this comedy jam show. So yeah, we both kind of backdoored yeah, yeah. <laughs> our way into it, uh, which is cool. Uh, but I want to share this with our listeners and Justin. So I was probably only three or four minutes late to your uh, your live table read. I was like, I gotta get to this. This is so cool that he's out uh, here. And uh, you just come to my show last night. I was like, oh, I gotta go see Tyler and see what this is about. So I walk in and they had started right on time with the intros and everything. So I didn't see the intros. But right as I walked in, they said, Wonderkind by Tyler Green. <laughs> and chills just ran through my body because almost four years ago, Probably three, four years ago, Tyler uh, hit me up as well as uh, some other comedian friends. And he's like, hey, I've got this pilot. Uh, I want uh, to do a table read with you guys and see if we, uh, if you guys have any uh, like uh, punch up uh, or any ideas um, to run by. But, but here it is. And it was that script from, wow. from that, that read that we did. Yeah. So that was such a cool full circle thing to happen and just see hard work pay off to a good guy and it was just i was so happy i just sat there the rest of the time i just had like this stupid smile on my face i was like <laughs> this is so freaking cool yeah so, i mean it was awesome is that like your baby or that's yeah a long i mean time to have well, it. it was um it just so happened i got a really late start in entertainment like i i was in school until i was 28 uh oh, going well, to grad schools and okay. stuff like that not wanting to get into comedy or writing and uh and just sort of fell into it and was very glad to be there. But anyway, uh, so that was the first actual like script that I wrote that I had like intention of, of making. And uh, so it was just cool. I got to bribe these guys with pizza and they were awesome enough to let me uh, run my idea by them. And so we, we did it and it was great. But yeah, so like that's why it stuck with it for yeah. so long because I, I, I really like that script a lot. And what was the turning point when you were like 28 to be like, ah, I'm all this money? Yeah, I was in it. I was in grad school studying philosophy, wanting to be a philosophy professor, and I didn't feel like I was very good at it, and I was failing symbolic logic, which is basically like abstract math kind of stuff, which is not at all what I wanted to be doing. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, it just so happened that at the same time they were having like this open mic uh, uh, thing for stand up comedy at the school I was going to. I was like, you know, I've always wanted to do it. I've all I love stand up comedy. I watched it all the time, but I never thought I was good at it because I was so dry that people just they don't I think I think they don't assume that I'm trying to be funny or whatever. I don't know. Yeah. So I would try to say funny stuff in conversation and it would just fly over people's heads. Why is that guy talking? Yeah, like exactly. That? Why is he being so weird? Exactly. So 
uh, I tried it, and I guess because of the context change of actually getting on stage and people assuming, oh, he's trying to be funny, it completely clicked. And like, I had one of the best sets of the entire time I did stand up on my first night. So I got off stage, called my mom, and I said, I'm dropping out of grad school <laughs> nine, nine years into college. Was she like, no, no. No, she said, you go for it. Like, she was really wow. supportive. Yeah, which is really amazing. That's great. Um, I wouldn't have done it, I don't think, if she... Maybe I would have. I don't know. We'll see. But uh, I, I, th- I think... Well, her vote of confidence really helped. I'll say that. Yeah. So dropped out, failed symbolic logic, <laughs> dropped out, <laughs> um, moved back to Asheville for a year to make sure I wasn't crazy, and then finally moved out to L.A. about five years ago. Mm-hmm. Man, that's so cool. And then, uh, uh, bef- like a little bit after that, so I knew you were grinding out at different mics and different shows and stuff like that. And how many years in was it when uh, you started kind of getting approached for writing? Because I think if I remember correctly, you got approached at like one of the at Nerdist or or something after you had like a killer set there yeah it was uh it's, it's actually kind of a funny story so um i uh got to do some shows at meltdown that the nerdist theater and um on one of them i decided to propose to my girlfriend <laughs> from stage at the end of my set i did like a normal set and then i proposed and um she sort of knew it was coming but i gave her a mislead enough to not know that it was going to be happening that night and yeah. i was actually more nervous about the set because what if you bomb and then propose <laughs> pretty lame that's so. a true comedian's yeah. way of thinking like, yeah. i hope i don't bomb and then i have to ask the girl my dreams to marry me and then she's like i guess and i i was actually uh backstage ahead of time and pete holmes was there and he was like looking at my set list and and he was like he saw where like the things i was gonna say as i was like proposing and like he started like making fun of me a little bit and I was like, Oh no, this is gonna go terrible. This is gonna go so bad. And um lo and behold it didn't. It actually went okay. So um but at that show where she and she said yes to everyone who's listening, by the way. Um they uh the, the my agent, my now agent was in the audience. And if you're on a comedy show, even if you're a little fish, if you propose at a comedy show people pay attention and so it just so happened that he was like hey do you have any ideas for a tv pilot and yeah. i'd happened to have this idea like a couple weeks prior so the timing just worked out really really well but that's how i got my agent is at that show that i proposed to my wife and then wow we what a night i know it was crazy i know it's really does your wife ever be like you kind of owe me a little bit of that because i mean i'm the reason why you got an agent <laughs> yes to- well i mean she she doesn't do that but i totally recognize like, right 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 in fact um uh, an interesting story about this script like uh she basically I, I showed it to one other person first when i wrote my first draft because i had no idea i could write and i had no idea that i was good at it or you know like i was like here's this thing that my brain that came out of my brain what do you think of it and i did the wrong thing which was show it to a comedian who will remain nameless and he basically trashed it and he said yeah. this is terrible Ugh. and i and you should it's not good and I was, like, just ready to just give up on the whole thing. Be like, no, not for me. And then I showed it to my wife. We were dating at the time. And I was really scared, too, because I thought she would hate it, too. And she didn't. She was like, this is good. You should keep with it. And here are the things that you should change. And she, like, made me keep from throwing it away. And so, in a sense, like, the entire script and everything since then isn't due to her. For, like, I could, have, I could have gone either way at that point. I could have been like, nope, writing's not for me. And just stick to stand-up. But... Yeah, so I I owe that to her for sure. 
Yeah. Dude. Uh, and then uh, a little bit after that, uh, I started, uh, because I hadn't heard yet, I, I just kind of was like, I haven't seen Tyler Green in a little bit. This I, I don't know the timeline from when you got uh, the writing job. You got a writing job at Anger Management. Yeah. Yeah. As a staff writer? As a staff writer, yeah. yeah. So that agent, to pick up the story, that agent, he, uh, I guess, sent me out for a while with that script and along with like some stand-up clips that I had. And it just so happened, the show Anger Management that Charlie Sheen is on, um, which, by the way, I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of, even though I worked on it, <laughs> but you take whatever job you can get, um, is really the way Can't I really say it. that when you're working on the job. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but they, I guess they had just lost a writer to family guy and he was like a joke writer. And so I was like, Oh, that'll be great. Cause I really like writing jokes. I write one liners all the time. So I got there and, um, that, that's how I got that job. But (laughs) I was a complete mismatch for that show. As you can imagine, like (laughs) they want jokes like lobbed underhand style over the plate so Charlie Sheen can just knock him out of the park. <laughs> and I don't like those jokes. I like curveball thinker, outside the box kind of jokes. Sure. And uh, they, it, it, there was a lot of no's coming my way. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah. That, but it, you live and learn, and that's just the way it goes. Well, it sounds like you're atypical in the way because most people that are repped are repped in duos, right? Are you like a rep solely or? I think, yeah, I think you get a mixture. Um, we actually... You know, I've never, I'm on my second show now and I've never worked with a duo, but that, I think that happens a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it just, I think it just depends, but yeah, it's a really good way if you feel like you're strong in one area of writing, uh, and you have a friend who's really good in the other area of writing and you trust this person enough to not like screw you over and you have similar work ethic. If all of those things are true and you like each other, then you should become a writing <laughs> duo. And then, uh, there, you know, people like that cause they get two writers for one, the only problem for you is you split your pay. Like yeah. You get half the pay. So if you're cool with that, great. Yeah. But you get all that money, baby. You get all that money, baby. You, you married. You need to throw it down. <laughs> I told him, you give me the pay of two writers. <laughs> no, I'm just so Omar Nava told me this great story uh, about you, like right after. <laughs> right after. Oh, no. <laughs> I have to share this on the podcast. Omar's been a guest on this podcast as well. I love Omar, by the way. I love Omar. Uh, and so he, he because uh, I was like asking around, I was like, have you guys seen Tyler lately? <laughs> like I hadn't heard the news yet because <laughs> basically I was seeing Tyler Green everywhere in the stand-up scene. I was seeing him like grinding out at Mike stuff. And then all of a sudden... I he's wasn't seeing him. I was like, he's not here. I was like, have you guys heard what's going on with Tyler? Like, I haven't talked to him in a little bit. Uh, I'm I'm going to, like, call him and check on him. And Omar's like, oh, you haven't heard. <laughs> he's like, Tyler got a writing job. I was like, oh, what? Tyler got a writing job? That's amazing. And he told me uh, uh, it was for a Charlie Sheen show. I was like, that's even better. That's, like, uh, like so cool. And Omar said that... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that like right after you like got like your first paycheck and stuff that uh that he saw you and and you pulled up in a BMW <laughs> and Omar's like what is this and you're like it's my new car <laughs> <laughs> and Omar's like wow this is from riding money this is so cool and then uh and then he said that you guys went out to eat and uh you guys got burritos and Omar was going to try to pay <laughs> and you're like Omar I got this one. <laughs> oh you, get, you gotta, you gotta treat your friends. It was so cool. Like, it I was sounds like, so obnoxious. To no, <laughs> <that>. <laughs> but I know how nice you are, and I was like, he's just being nice. But 
Omar told me, I was like, that's so funny. Just like pulling up in a BMW and being like, oh, I got money for your burrito tonight. Daddy's making money. You want money this car? Now. I got another car. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's very obnoxious, uh, number one. Number two, not the best investment. Um, <laughs> thankfully, I leased it. Uh, but more, more on that later. But uh, ba- basically... It's fine with writing money if you get renewed, which I thought I was going to. <laughs> Do not count your chickens before they hatch. So, yeah, um, it was a very, very rookie move and very dumb. But uh, I have a BMW now for uh, one more year. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Yeah, I mean, basically to fill it out. So, like, the writing job was great. Like, I drove into work every day more or less smiling. Like, I loved it. Yeah. And, it was the greatest job. And then over time, getting enough no's and uh, you feeling like your input is not very good fit for them. Right. That can wear you down. So that sort of happened. But I was like, that's great. I mean, it's good money and whatever. And um, so <laughs> then one day, just like out of the blue, they're like, oh, we're not going to renew you anymore. For I was signed on for 20 weeks. And then the show ran was going to be running like another like... I don't know, like sixty weeks or something oh, wow. like that. It was like because they got it got ordered for a hundred right up front, yeah, hundred episodes. So I was like, oh well, I'm I'm good for a while. And uh, lo and behold, out of the blue, they're like, you're not a very good fit for us. And so they told that you that that to your face. They just like tell you how it is. No, it's, it's it's really weird. They you're sitting there were there were two rooms, so I was in the B room, but the guys in the A room basically were across the hall from each other more or less they call my agent who then calls me that we're that we as a group are going to uh the the right the other writers and i the head writer and i are going to have a meeting about me getting fired it's the weirdest thing oh like, wow so a phone call goes up to space <laughs> to my agent that th- this guy five feet away from me is going to be having a meeting with me in a few minutes and it's like why not just tell me that you're gonna that's fine and like even in the meeting it was like you know, we're going to go a different direction and like all the soft pedaling kind of industry language. And I was like, it, it, you know, it's okay. It's okay. You can just, I'm, I'm okay. We're yeah. good. We're good to go. And I think it was the most relief firing he ever like had to do. So, I, well, but, I'm sure that they have people fight back all the time. Like, no, yeah. I can, I can do this. Like, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my mentality is I, I don't think I was a right for, for the show. I was actually surprised they hired me in the first place. I yeah. mean, off of my sample and my jokes, I don't know why they thought oh charlie sheen would really dig on this you know like i don't i don't know I'm, i've never been fired from a place like how do people say bye to you like it's the last day of school they're just like "Ooh, this is yeah yeah leper yeah and they wait toward till the end of the day or at least they did in this situation so i didn't get to say bye to everyone so i had to like call people and text people and whatever yeah so but mm. uh yeah it was so that was that was like the low point if you're talking about like getting like rocked by the industry like that was like the low point because then uh, really quick backstory. My wife was in a terrible job, and one of the best things about making the money that I was doing as a writer is we could get her out of her job. And right. So, like, she, it was just wearing her down. It was terrible. And so she she was looking for another job, but I was writing, so we were, we were all good. And then all of a sudden, we found both of us out of work together at the same time oh. <laughs> with, like, no money coming in. And then what we thought was going to be a very short time for her was actually it ended up being, like, almost a year so both of us were out of a job for a year. So thankfully we had like a little bit of savings, but like, so like it was, it was just 
perfect irony of like rolling up in like a BMW, like right after starting the writing job. And then cut to 20 weeks later and being like, oh, I can't afford this car or life right now. <laughs> and so um, thankfully it, it worked out in time. But like it was that was like, oh, every day is really hard right now because we're trying to figure out how either of us is going to make some money to live kind of thing. So Yeah. So then how does the second job come about? Just like wait a lot of waiting. Well, here's here's my recommendation to anyone who like wants to get into writing, because it is a constant like up and down thing. Like you're on, oh, sure. you're off, and you have no idea when when what's gonna happen. So um I my idea was like, you know, I'm gonna go back to bartending school. So I went to bartending school and then became a bartender and like that worked well enough. Like I could write a little bit during the day and then bartend at night. And so that was sort of my plan. And I, I just tried to be as productive as I could during that year. During that year, I ended up writing like something like four pilots and half of a feature. So I really wow. like put my nose to the grindstone. But at the same time, like that, that doesn't pay. So it's yeah. like I have to have something. And bartending is actually really good because you can just pick it up right when you leave off. Like if I got fired tomorrow from my job, I could go get a bartending job in L.A. Because mm-hmm. supposedly L.A. likes to drink. <laughs> so wait, do, is bartending school hard? Because I feel like... It is hard. It's a lot of chemists, right? Chemistry yeah, or whatever. Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I think you sort of get the hang of it. And then once you can make all the drinks, you, you, it's, it's a lot of the same. You just switch when, out a certain When you go to parties, you're the guys like, I got this. <laughs> just taking over. No, no. I, uh, when, when you, if you do it for a living, you definitely don't want to do it for free <laughs> if, yeah. if you can help it. Yeah. It's kind of like being uh, done with all your shows. And then somebody comes up to you, or they're like, oh, you're a comedian? Huh? Tell me a joke. And you're like, oh. Yeah. Yeah. Plus, I don't get invited to parties. <laughs> oh. Oh. So you were saying uh, that we're going to talk about it uh, a little bit more uh, later in the episode. So uh, how often are you getting up stand-up-wise now, or are, are you not really doing stand-up right now? Yeah, I pretty much, I haven't done stand-up in about a year and a half. Okay. With, like, two exceptions here and there. Just yeah. To, revisit it but um yeah so uh, i think basically the the short of it is i think that the writing bug just sort of bit and i i think the perfect stand-up is like 50 percent former 50 percent uh writer mm-hmm. and i was 90 percent writer 10 percent performer mm-hmm. as you can imagine <laughs> like i was like sometimes in my earlier days it was like steven Wright on downers like i was like trying <laughs> to be lower key than he was um and uh i think uh yeah, so when I the writing thing started, I just like I was like I, I got to do this. This is like what I'm living for now. So yeah, uh, I think the performance aspect is just its own thing. I think it's it takes a weird, no offense, but because uh, I was it too, it takes a weird sort of mentality of like I need to get on stage and have people affirm me. Sure. So I think uh, no, I mean, and yeah. I think only your it's parents a sickness can, for yeah, sure. I think only your parents can install it when you're little. And then your peers support that as you grow up. And then at a certain point, you're like, oh, yeah, I just need other people. I need strangers' approval. And that's <laughs> the way it goes, I think. Every night of my life. <laughs> but I, I, I do think two things that I found to be true, I think, as far as like every comic I've talked to about this, in some form or fashion, they have parental issues in some way, mom or dad. Usually it's a withholding dad and an over-approving mom, usually. And then they also felt like ostracized from the herd growing up a little bit. Like they either felt weird or they got picked on or somehow felt a little bit like an outsider and then realized they could use humor to get people to uh, endear themselves to them. 
Agree, disagree. Do, do you uh do you take appointments for therapy or <laughs> <laughs> I know it's like it 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 is a, a weird thing. I actually went through therapy like a while ago and a lot of it that I never was wise to, like my eyes were open, I was like, Oh my gosh, it's so clear now. You know No, I mean what you just said, I mean it's yeah, I get it. I totally get it. There you go. So I'm writing my feature about that. So when it's done, I'll <laughs> I will definitely read it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, give you feedback as soon as. Yeah. So that's which one did you spot have? on? Did you? I have both. I have both. Yeah. I have dad issues and mom issues. I would say <laughs> they're probably about equal. <laughs> and I was picked on most of my life. So, uh, yeah. For what? What would the kids say to you? you oh, it's just weird. I have weird thoughts. Like I just the things I find interesting most people don't find interesting and I probably have learned to smooth over it now. So like maybe it's not as easy to tell now, but like I'm trying to think of examples, but I would just, I would have like random trivia facts or like, I'd want to talk about weird things that no one else wanted to talk about. And the thing is I didn't care. Like I didn't care about impressing my peers. So I was like, I always was, I I actually kind of was fine on the outside and I was also an only child raised by a single mom. So that like, yeah, I was very much a loner and I was, more or less okay with it, but I never felt like endeared to my peers. Mm-hmm. In fact, I would say I didn't really feel that way until I started doing stand up in LA. And the cool thing is, like, stand up in LA is such a communal, fun thing. And like, everyone I feel more or less is really supportive. And I found like really good friends that I like just really enjoy hanging out with. And so I think a lot of that healing actually came about by doing comedy in LA, oddly enough. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like? the time that you put in as a stand-up has helped you as a sitcom writer or a screenplay totally, writer? Totally, totally. I would highly recommend any comedy person who wants to get into comedy writing to do stand-up because there's so much difference between what you think is funny oh, yeah. and what the audience thinks is funny. And um, that can be a real big disjoint and it can be very jarring and humbling to especially when you're starting and you get on stage and you're like, I know this is funny. And you tell it to the audience and five audiences out of five won't laugh at it. And there you get, there's your answer right there. Yeah. Um, and so it can be humbling that you have to go, I thought this was funny, but it's not. And a lot of, it takes stand-ups a long time. Sometimes they're like, you know, I, I, the audience is wrong. I know that's funny. And they'll like take the superior route and you're like, you, you can't do that and stay working. You know? Right. But um, the reason I think that's helpful for comedy writing is if you can get people to laugh in the room or if you can write a script that makes people who are reading it you know, miles away at their desk, laugh out loud, your, your uh, pilot goes to the top of the list. So yeah. that, that's like a really, really big thing to do, I think. Did you feel like you kind of had the edge over some writers, even though, like you said, that you weren't the best fit for that particular show? Whenever you were pitching jokes, do you, did you feel like you had the edge over some other writers because you had that, that confidence with stand-up where you're like, I'm going to pitch you jokes right now. I'm used to to telling strangers jokes all the time, whereas a lot of other writers, they're just in the writer's room, and it's like a very small, close-knit thing. Yes, I do think so. I think my personal experience has been that, um, and sorry to any of my writer friends who uh, were not stand-ups, but my experience has been that uh, people who come from the stand-up world, instead of just write from, like, say, film school or something like that, where they're Mm -hmm. comedy writers is that they are consistently more funny and they pitch stuff that's more outside the box because they know how the far the bounds can go and still get a laugh. Gotcha. Whereas I find that a lot of the comedy writers who are not stand-ups, they do a lot of safe jokes or a lot of like 
you know, like very by the numbers kind of jokes, like laughs and, uh, you know, rule of three and like that. They stick more to those kind of things. Gotcha. Whereas I find more original joke writing comes out of the standups hmm. is my personal experience. That's interesting. So, yeah, I, I, I definitely think that if anyone is interested in comedy writing, even though it's so hard to do, try to try to get up on stage if you can and try to learn how to read an audience. Mm-hmm. The other thing is you'll learn how to write jokes, the wording such that it is easier to hear from the audience. Right. And that can be a really big difference of like a joke landing or not landing. Like if a joke is way too wordy, then you just it just fails on its own. Mm-hmm. So I think if you learn that sort of economy of everything. And now that everyone's asleep <laughs> on the podcast, man. <laughs> no, no. For, no, I, I think it's super... Like, I mean, that's why I asked you that specific question. Um, Welcome to Ambi in the podcast. Welcome. <laughs> You're getting very sleepy now. Uh, that would be a funny bit that you just sort of slowly turn it down throughout the entire podcast <laughs> yeah. as if like someone's listening to it as they're going to sleep and yeah they just it's just slowly seamlessly fall yeah <laughs> we're writing bits here folks <laughs> uh now as a comedy writer and as a stand-up did you find whenever you got married that it was just as hard to be a comedy writer or um did it was it easier because you had somebody in your corner uh that's kind of fueling you a little bit more like that's not not family like relatives but it's somebody that's like actually you're you're waking up with every day you're seeing every day that's giving you like positive encouragement uh if that makes sense yeah of course um yeah that was a big thing for me also like i think comedians in general myself included have trouble with like intimacy issues and like letting someone in there's there's a very independent mindset that goes along with being a comedian especially if you're working on the road ever, you know, you're up by yourself and all that sort of stuff. And um, you have complete creative control. So, uh, but long story short, yes and no. The the time it was actually harder, it was harder to be a stand-up. I could see my wife wanting to really support my stand-up. She really did. She was supportive of it. But it was hard being away most nights. So my solution was to actually just go out two nights a week while I was married, like right when I got married and was still doing stand-up and try to hit like three or four mics each time. So I yeah. ended up still hitting about seven mics a week, but I just did it on two nights and I really had to hustle to do that Yeah, so I could spend time with my wife. Um, but she was very much in my corner. She would like help me out. She would encourage me and all that. But as a comedy writer, much more so. Like she, she'll read drafts of everything I write and she'll... Um, she's, she even really has learned to pitch me like really good ideas for stuff. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, like it's, it's great. Like being married as a comedian, as a comedy writer has been nothing but positivity. It was a little hard to stand up just because she worked a day job and then I would go and be gone for the night. So like we wouldn't see each other and that was harder. But, um, yeah, uh, I, I think being married has actually probably made me a lot better comedian, oddly enough. Um, I don't know if that's oddly enough or what I thought I was concerned before getting married that it was oddly enough going to like, it was going to be much harder. I'm not funny anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I think comedians also worry about like whenever they bring something healthy into their life that (laughs) it's going to take away from being so true. You know what I mean? Um, and it's not the case. I don't think so. I, uh, before I lost my experience, before I lost my virginity, I was like, I've got a solid like four or five minutes on being a virgin. I don't know. <laughs> I was like, do I? That's so good. That's so good. You're like, no. Nah, I was nah. like, ah, we'll wait a little bit longer. These uh, these jokes are hitting hard right now. 
<laughs> where you're like, but I'm not going to write anymore. I'm not, no, I can't. I need to cut it off yeah. slowly. Oh, that's so funny. That's Separate. really, really funny. <laughs> Very funny. But uh, so I think you already kind of covered your your Hollywood bitch slap moment. Oh, yeah. Uh, was uh was that time? But uh, if there's anything else that you want to share to to close out the podcast, uh, uh, we're gonna wrap it up here uh, here in a second. Um, boy, it's it's tough to say. I mean, there are there are a lot of little defeats constantly. Yeah. Um, that I think you just sort of have to learn to get over and roll with. And mm-hmm. if you can do that, it'll take you a lot further. If you can learn to not take things personally and. Hollywood just moves at a glacial pace. Like it's so slow on everything to get developed. So like we, we did that table read. I wrote that pilot, I mean, probably four years ago and it's just now starting to maybe do something. That's what's so crazy is like, and you, and you mentioned earlier in the podcast that you auditioned for stand up uh, for just for laughs, like three years, three years in, yeah, a, row. in a row. I, I, uh, on, on the flip side of things, I auditioned, Three or four years ago, I had a straight to call back, and then that's the only time I've ever auditioned. Every other year, I haven't been asked to audition. Even this year, like I tried to get an audition, it didn't happen, and but it worked out. I still was able to go out there, and I was on two great shows every night. And it's just one of those things where it's like sometimes the path, the like the mainstream path, is not the same for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, first of all, I think that's crazy that they wouldn't call you back because number one, you're very funny, but number two, you're a physical comedian and that's not very common these days. So I feel like, it, I mean, it just, it, it, that it blows my mind that that's the case. But I think I told you up there when we were um, in Montreal that I think Moshe Kasher like yeah. applied for or for years, like he auditioned for years and years and years, and they never had him as new faces. And then he got a headlining set as yep. a professional. It's like, well, you know, screw you guys. Yeah, that, you tr- that, that trumps yeah. everything yeah. as and far I, as that goes. I mean, I think that's a great example of how to make it in Hollywood is that you just don't accept a no. You just keep going. Like, mm-hmm. if you believe that it's what you should be doing and it's what you like doing, you'll find a way. You know, you'll find a way. So, yeah. Absolutely. Well, buddy, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Uh, where can people find you social media-wise? Um, I think uh, I got an email from Twitter saying my Twitter might have been hacked, but <laughs> <laughs> if, it, if it has and it's weird stuff, uh, maybe me, maybe not me. I don't know. Uh, but A. Tyler Green uh, is the Twitter handle. All right. Yeah. At Tyler Green. And I, I never post jokes anymore. So. <laughs> but Perfect. you can reply and I'll try to reply back. But we'll be looking out for your pilots or some screenplays uh, hopefully coming soon. Yeah, that'd be great. And uh, I, I have a banner that flies behind an airplane around L.A. every day. So just uh, <laughs> look up and I'll, it's my message to you guys. <laughs> All right, man. Well, I'm so happy for you with everything that's going on. And, uh, yeah, just wishing you continued success, buddy. Love you, man. Thanks. Love you too, guys. Thanks. Yep. <laughs>